This podcast sponsored by Prime Super, taking the complexity out of super administration so that you can get on with your business. Go to primesuper.com.au to see what we can do for you. I was curious, you, you were saying you got kind of stuck into the politicians on both sides mm. there, I think, and, but you did say you've spoken to the minister, I'm assuming you meant Ken Wyatt? Ken Wyatt and the shadow minister. And the shadow minister. Um, why, why are they disengaged? Why are they not getting involved? Look, I, I would say that um, it's, there's a number of different um, levels of engagement. So I'd say Ken Wyatt has been very engaged mm-hmm. uh, and very supportive in, in making the uh, opening the doors, enabling us to really do our work at a deep level. And there were many times on the way through the process where he uh, you know, actively um, um, pushed through for us. Um, Julie Collins was engaged. Um, and um, and I think what we found is that a level of um, bipartisanship over the strategy and the importance of it. I would say far less engagement by the parliamentary friends of ageing, who are the members of um, local um, uh, local uh, sorry who are the um, lower house representatives who have sort of positioned themselves as having a particular interest, uh, which surprised me. Mm-hmm. And what it said to me is that for A lot of people, it's a popular thing to show that you care, but actually it's not resulting in any real action. And what we've seen through the run-up to this election is um, a lot of deferral to the outcomes of the Royal Commission, when in fact many of the answers to the issues are understood and the solutions are clear, and they could could very well be um, implementing much of the strategy. We've seen some, but... Um, but laying out a very coherent view. The other thing that I think is notable from a political point of view is that you know, when you do something like Vote Compass, there is a notable absence of any questions relating to our elder community, uh, their care or their support. And that's very, very surprising mm. and, uh, and, and probably is an indication um, that it's just not as high on the community radar as one might expect. And I mean, a lot of your talk was about uh, a clear view for the workforce. Mm-hmm. But if there's not a, a clear view at a, a political level, then that makes sense that they would leave it alone. Uh, yeah, uh, look, I think if there's not a... Absolutely. I mean, if it's a um, universal aged care system, which means it's predominantly a government-funded system, then you really do need leadership from the top. But I think we've got to stop thinking about it as a singular department within health, within the federal government, and we have to look at what, what, what is the integrated strategy across all ministries in federal government? How is that playing out through the state governments and then through local government? Because really ageing has to be an all-of-government all of conversation. And it's just too easy for it to be deferred from one place to another. And, um, and, and, and therefore, as we see, when, when, you know, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a terrific political strategy... Many governments like fragmented industries because that means that they can just push the issue over there and won't come back at you. We do need a much more united front around the issues and the, and the activity being put in place, but it is an integrated all-of-government conversation. Uh, again, in your talk, you seemed you liked the idea of the Royal Commission because it was bringing up issues, but are you fearful then that it might kind of go away the way of the 
banking recognition twofold, as in people will soon forget about it, and as soon as there's a new government, HPA will easily be forgotten, and there might be recommendations come out of it, but, you know, this will change. Look, I think that the, the Royal Commission uh, is a very important step forward because um, it has the opportunity to really open up this issue in the Australian community. And the community has to understand that it has a role to play. This is not something you just pass off to somebody else to do. We all have to engage it. Um, I think as it relates to, it, will it delay some of the recommendations that have already been made? I've got a lot of confidence um, in the commissioners that have been appointed for their level of uh, insight and pragmatism. And, and I believe that they will point very quickly to the notion that there is a strategy, get on and execute it. Um, there are certainly going to be uh, additions, there's certainly going to be uh, areas that, that, that um, need to be given more emphasis and some areas that need to be given a new start. But I think that, um, I think that what we'll find is a pragmatic approach around execution. I think the sad thing is though, um, as, as we said, that there are many things that could be full steam ahead right now and don't need to wait for the final version, you know, verdict of the Royal Commission. That is disappointing because to me that is an abdication of leadership responsibility and we can't really be a nation that talks about fair go and, um, and you know, just do it and get on with it and, um, and actually you know, politically sit on these important issues for as long as we have. Mm-hmm. If we go to maybe the issue of ratios and just in general how we got here, is the for-profit aged care model, is that the barrier to these things and the barrier to really, really good care? No, there no, there was absolutely no evidence at all through our work that there was any difference in the commitment, the quality or the care delivered by the for-profit and the non-for-profit sectors. You know, in fact, it's become a very dangerous notional division um, and I think you know, largely aimed at um, competitive rivalries and keeping it a fragmented industry. The, the reality is, regardless of your... Um, uh, your company status, um, they operate the same way. They still have to do workforce modelling and skills mix modelling. They still need to find the capital to invest um, and they still need to get a return on an investment because everybody has to get the capital from somewhere. And I think the, the thing that I, I, I found most interesting uh, about um, looking across them is that if they lose that notional distinction and start talking about the purpose of their individual organisations, what differentiates them, why their workforce is special, what their care commitment is, that would be a far higher quality conversation to have than this arbitrary structure distinction. And you spoke a lot about engagement uh, in your speech. You, uh, through, through the research, sorry, you noticed that management had a bit of a rosier outlook than a lot of the day-to-day uh, hand-on carers. Uh, I guess that's an issue. Would they have maybe the same view? Would they think that the care they're giving is, is good when perhaps it's not? Look, I think that it, it's not unusual for management in these, you know, when you're looking at employee engagement and, and employee enablement, do they have the tools that they need to do their job? It's, it's not unusual to think, see management think that they're doing a better job and, 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 and the uh, you know, employees and staff have a, uh, have a differing view. In this industry, it's a substantially different view. And the only way that you can solve those issues is business by business, is sitting down with your executive team, sitting out down with your employees, and really trying to understand 
why that gap exists and then put activities in to solve it. It's not something you do at a governmental level. It's not something you do in academic research. It is an industry, it's a business by business conversation. The thing that I think needs to support it, though, is that is that there does need to be more investment um, by businesses in leadership, in open feedback systems, in employee engagement, and a commitment at board level to listen and then respond to what they what they're hearing from their employees. Um, and I think over time we need to then. Uh, keep it. Keep an eye on that. On you know, like from time to time, there should be a industry-wide survey on these things to just see how is it evolving. But but not just a survey, but to create benchmarks for individual businesses to identify where they sit on that um, on that continuum and identify opportunities for improvement. Probably a very difficult question. But you, you've mentioned that you think there are things that could be implemented now. There was one, what would be the first kind of a more simple thing that could be implemented now that you think would make a tangible difference to the sector? I think that if we made a commitment to holistic care planning that said that every um, advanced care plan or care plan produced for an individual included um, a clinical care plan, a, a functional health care plan, a cognitive health care plan, a cultural needs um, identification and the living well aspirations of the individual, that, um, that as a care plan, it wouldn't have to be any more than you know a, a, a few pages, it might be one page longer than a current care plan, but it would actually recognise the importance of a living well model of care and the full needs of the individual. That then has to drive into the skills mix and the minimum staffing levels um, across nursing, occupational therapy, physiotherapy, diversional therapy, personal care workers to deliver those care plans. So I think our starting position has to be the quality and the holistic nature of the care that we're looking to deliver.